Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the EC Devotional Podcast. I'm Pastor Aaron Case, and I'm back with you today to cover Leviticus chapters 5 through 7. And just before we get going, we just pray that this podcast has been a blessing to you. I uh, I can say that for me and all of the fellows who've been on here, um, it's just been amazing at how much reach uh, we have gotten with this. We've been so surprised and thankful for how God has been using it. Thank you for those of you who've shared your testimony of how God has been working in your life and using this podcast to bless you. I I just thank God that we're able to spend some time together getting into God's Word. People in different churches, even in the same town or even across the country, um, able to dig in and to learn more together. That's a good thing, and I'm thankful uh, that you've been a part of it. But I do want to say, before we get into our time today, yesterday in our reading plan, we saw the laws for sin offerings and how the priest is to be anointed and and how he should come before God and present the offerings of sin and all of the details in that. Um, I would just encourage you, there are so many details like this in passages that we just tend to run past. I I pray that as we go through the Bible and we hunger for a deeper knowledge of Christ and we look and seek the gospel and all the pages of scriptures that we take time to dig into the intricate details and to understand that we will never plumb the depths of God's word. And he has hidden so many gems in there that will just open our eyes to deeper levels of obedience. And so um, many times, especially in Leviticus, where most reading plans <laughs> come to die, let's be honest, um, there is so many details that we can just get get caught up in and miss, um, caught up in other things. So let's be sure that we don't do that. Let's be those who really dig into the scriptures and let's learn and grow like we never have before. So that's that's part of what we saw yesterday. And then as we begin into our time today, Leviticus chapter 5, we see and we begin looking at where there's a proclamation. If anyone hears something that went on and they hear a call to testify and they are a witness and if they refuse, their guilt will be upon them. Their guilt will be upon them. And so we don't even get past the first verse and we see a truth that screams out to us that it's wrong to not speak up when you've seen something wrong. Why? Because maybe someone was wrongly accused and your testimony would help. Maybe someone falsely accused someone else and your silence allowed them, the ones who were guilty, to get away with it. This is something that I think in our time, like, there's really no balance in, or at least not enough. We should be people who are about the truth. And regardless of who's involved, we should be people who want God to be honored and justice to happen in all of our lives. That's what leads to peace with God. And so many times, I think, like I said, the lack of balance is you have the busybody gossips who are in everyone's uh, details just so they can not help, but so they can harm or use the information as some sort of high to where they feel like they know stuff other people don't. Or the people who are just like, forget it, nothing's going to change, I can never do any good. So they're just disconnected, uh, overly consumed with themselves, and not worried about any 
everything else. Well, we need to have gospel balance, right? We need to be people who care about the truth. And so, right at the beginning, the scripture is talking about uncleanliness and failing to hold up your uh, oath or swearing falsely. These are sins that are committed, and there needs to be compensation given to the Lord. There needs to be an atonement. Because we understand, as Scripture teaches, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. That's God's will. That's how He designed it. This is all pointing to what, church? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel. And so, what we noticed as we, well, especially as we get towards the end of chapter 5, is something repeated all throughout the chapter. And that is, even if someone sins unintentionally, Once they understand what they have done, if it's unintentional or not, they need to make atonement for that. So so what is that telling us? It's telling us that ignorance is no excuse. That means the struggle for holiness needs to supersede every other thing that we do. We want to be right in the Lord's sight. We should quake at who we've been. We should mourn over who we've been as we live in gospel victory. When God brings up, have you, has he ever done that for you? When you were going through and, and maybe through your daily prayer and you're like, Lord, please reveal to me my heart, show me my sin. And you go through your day and then all of a sudden something that you haven't thought about in years comes up. That's not a coincidence, my friend. That's God answering your prayer. First off, you need to praise him because he's cleansing you. And secondly, you need to repent because he's given you and blessed you with that privilege. Think about that. Think about submitting every area of your life to the glory of the one true king. That's what we want to do. Amen? Chapter 6, then we see, if anyone commits a breach of faith against his neighbor, they deceive from them, steal from them, oppress from them, lie about them. They should not only offer a sin offering to the priest, but they should also pay back all of the damages that they had cost their neighbor. What a concept, right? Let's let's jump on another soapbox real quick, right? Think about this. I just have to stop here and make one one real quick point that, that I wonder if any of us have thought of. I know God has done many good things, and in fact... All good things he's done is despite the failures of men, amen? (laughs) But that doesn't stop our God when men fail. But I would say this, the American justice system, the prison system, I should say more, uh, more, to be more exact, looks nothing like biblical justice. What do you mean, pastor? Let me tell you this. Biblical justice says you pay back what you've taken, not you go away to get a college education, three meals a day. You know, I know there's definitely problems in jail. Don't get me wrong. But the person who's been robbed from in our time today gets nothing back, right? Biblical justice says, no, you pay it back. And then guess what? If you have to work to pay it back, then maybe you won't do it anymore. If someone commits a crime that is worthy of death, then they've forfeited their life. They've made a choice. And they should pay with their life. If we followed through with biblical justice, maybe the world would look a little different today. But could you imagine what that would look like? 
Not to mention the amount of funds that we would save and be able to use elsewhere. I'm sure our government would do good with that, right? Just kidding. But you get the point. Biblical justice supersedes all of the plans of man, right? Okay, so so continuing on then, God tells Moses to talk to Aaron and tells him how to, um, to burn fire on the altar all night, all the way until the morning. The fire should never go out. He tells him about the clothing that he should be putting on and again, how the fire should always be there. And then the Lord explains and goes into detail of how the portion is there for the priest to have and how that is to be divvied up. And then into chapter seven, he talks about the guilt offering and just how it is most holy. And then again, we see the priest's instructions and what he's allowed to have and then people in his family and how he is to conduct himself. And you say, oh my goodness, there are so many things that God wants to happen and how he prescribes things. And yes, is what we say. It is very detailed. And you know why? Again, it is pointing to gospel hope to where a perfect Savior did everything exactly as he was commanded. Jesus did not in one area fail. We're looking at all these details. They go, oh my goodness, no wonder they failed. No wonder they didn't do things right. Who could hold up this kind of weight and all these responsibilities? Well, we know, don't we, church? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I was reading through these regulations, it reminded me of the wicked Hophni and Phinehas um, who were sons of Eli, right, back in the book of Samuel. And you remember all the wicked things that they did when they were just uh, abusing the priesthood of God. They would keep the good parts for themselves and not offer it to the Lord. They would commit sexual sins with people who came to give their sacrifices to God. I mean, it's no wonder the justice that they received at God's hand. But this goes back to the last time when I was talking with you. God is the one who sets the parameters for worship. We've been over this so many times, but I don't think it's something that we can hear enough. Our feelings do not dictate what God commands to be good. So then, rather than being led by our preferences, we should seek more. Instead, we should seek more to be obedient to the commands of God. And I could say this, church, and and mean this with all that I have, and this is the thought I'll leave you with. If it's right in the eyes of God, and we never felt a thing, church, that kind of worship is some of the most powerful that we could ever offer up. I pray that as you go throughout your day, you're worried about truth and what you're proclaiming to the one true God, and that you make much of him, regardless of how you feel, regardless of where you are, knowing that he alone is worthy. God bless you, and we'll see you again.